Hello and good morning and welcome to Lansdowne Bound, uh, our podcast. I uh, hope you're having a great day. Um, and I have a guest host on today, uh, Anthony on the Cape, uh, who calls in uh, 98.5 quite frequently. Uh, Anthony, how are you doing this morning? Excellent, Jim. Um, beautiful, beautiful day here. And uh, the Red Sox are on a, on a good little heater. So uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm excited to, uh, to, get, to get going on these podcasts. Yeah, we plan on making this a uh, a regular uh, thing. Uh, it's been a little bit spotty in the past, but we're going to get this to be a little bit more regular. Um, so we'll probably have a week a weekly show. Um, we're going to have guests as well. So definitely log in and uh, like us on uh, Twitter uh, and Facebook as well, and then also to our website at landsdownbound.com where we have articles and we also have merchandise and things like that. So I want to start today talking about the kind of like a week in review, Anthony, and you know, the bottom line here is is that I, I don't want to kind of jinx the Red Sox, but it's been a pretty good May so far, wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, the, 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 we're, we're undefeated, are we not? <laughs> That's what I didn't want to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we, we, no, but Jim, last week we talked on, on the, I think on the Twitter spaces, and we, we talked about how, and I really was like, you know, this week is all I'm concerned with. We've got four with Toronto, which was my main concern because we've had so much trouble with them. And then, you know what, at three at Philly, let's not take them too lightly because they can still hit and they've still got some good players, even though they're not playing great. And now it's just, I mean, we're absolutely rolling here on an eight-game winning streak. Yeah, it's it's been fun too, and we've seen um, a lot of great offense. I mean, I've, the, the reality is, is that, you know, we're not just seeing the launch angle thing, but we're playing a lot of small ball, you know, gap shots, singles, doubles, stolen bases, um, situational hitting. It's been really fun, and it kind of looks like the old Red Sox from even years ago before everything was just Homer happy. So I've been, I've been pleasantly surprised. I've been, I've, been, I've been really surprised. I didn't think this was – the offense that was was going to be that, especially when we saw that Duvall went down, and we've had a lot of injuries too, and that's been a that's been a major concern is these injuries. Absolutely, but just to, just to your point about the the style of offense they're playing, um, it's very contagious. Um, they're they're taking advantage of the new new rule set where where we're not having extreme shifts. Um, we're, we're we're I think we're twenty three out of twenty five in stolen bases, which is number one in baseball. We're starting to get the run game incorporated, but you're seeing it from around the lineup. You know, you're seeing these clutch uh, singles, you know, just a nice, not trying to do too much, you know, Reese McGuire, Valdez, it doesn't matter. Everybody's kind of, you know, grinding out at bats and and getting base hits. But but as far as the injury thing, we just got a new one today with Christian Arroyo now, and he just he just got hot. So now he's he's injured, and, and, and our middle infield is just, you know, it's, it's like a, you know, infirmary ward. Yeah, the middle infield has been a concern since the offseason, right? I mean, once we found out that we were going to lose Trevor Story, who arguably is our best player, and he's a right-handed bat, um, you know, then we're we're kind of playing, you know, rearranging the deck chairs with Kike and, you know, with Arroyo and stuff like that. And, you know, we've got Valdez up, who's a left-hander. Losing Arroyo concerns me because we need right-handed bats. Right. And I mean, obviously, Dolspex is uh, you know right-handed bat, but not necessarily one you want in the lineup very often. You want to use him very situationally, and also on defense, he's not gonna you know. So it's it's we're looking now at basically Kike Hernandez, obviously, is the shortstop, and the only other player on the roster who could possibly play shortstop is Dolspex. And and I know I've mentioned Devers in the past. Give him a shot there. I'm still for that. I would like to see Devers get some action at shortstop. Why wouldn't you want to see this guy even one or two games just to get a look? Because he's playing pretty good defense. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we're not going in a complete shift, but I mean, obviously, when Kike's playing more towards second base and Devers is more into the shortstop position, there's kind of this shift, but not a true shift. And so, you know, he's there anyway. It's not a bad idea. And, you know, if we gets Turner in the lineup at third, um, you know, it gets that another right-handed bat in the lineup. But I do like what I see out of Valdez. Um, I've been pleasantly surprised. Obviously, this was a guy that was traded in the Christian Vasquez deal um, along with Abreu. And, uh, you know, the first couple of days, Anthony, his defense looked like a train wreck. But he's come out of it, and hopefully it continues to improve. 
but you got to be improved. You got to be impressed by the offense from this kid. Oh, oh God, he he can really swing the bat. Um, he has an advanced like you know he's not a. You could see it from the first at bat he had in the majors. You know what I mean? He he was not nervous. He was ready for the moment. He he has a um, a good approach at the plate. And obviously, he had a phenomenal season uh, between Houston um, and, and and here in the minors last year. And uh, no, he's been extremely impressive. And like I said, he's not going up there trying to hit home runs every time. He's he's going up there giving you a good at bat and hitting the ball hard with line drives. Even some of his outs have been good hard. He, you know, he had that long, you know, uh, you know, line out to like you know the wall that Fenway. Um, a few games ago, but we're seeing, you know, little base hits the other way. We're seeing, we're seeing him use the whole field and uh, yeah, no, his defense was, was very concerning because that's always been his downfall. It's, it was when we got him, it was like, well, what position is this guy going to play? Is he a second? They've used him at second. They've used him at third, maybe a little at first, um, a little in left. It's like, you know, does this guy have a position? And it looked pretty bad. Those first, you know, couple of games, and uh, he's settled in now. He's settled in now. So, he, you know, he's not an elite defender by any means, but it's second base. And if he can, uh, you know, avoid the big blunders, you know, we, we want that bat in the lineup because we, we, we've, we've talked about it many times recently, how the bottom of the order, which was a black hole at the beginning of the season, has now we're, we're tracking it every game where it's like, what did the bottom of the order do? Because they, they've just been great. Yeah, six through nine has been um, not a black hole. And years past, you know, we would get nothing out of six through nine quite regularly. And I think even going into the beginning of this season, I thought six through nine was going to be a, a real problem. And it's it's been great. And I think part of that reason is because guys like McGuire and Wong are in those spots, right? And all they've done is hit. Um, there has been absolutely no problem with the offense from catching. No, it's, it's, it's been fantastic. That was a, uh, it was not a very productive, you know, uh, spot last year. Vasquez was pretty good, but overall, if you look at the catching spot last year, it was okay, but it was nothing special, but Reese McGuire, I've said it all along. This guy can really handle the bat. You know, nobody's expecting him to be a 300 hitter all year, but you just look at that bunt he put down last night. I mean, it was textbook. The guy can handle the bat and he's probably the best bunter on the team. And then you're talking about Wong. I mean, I love this kid. I mean, I, offense, defense. I mean, he's impressed. He missed all of spring training, basically, with the hamstring. Got off to a little bit of a slow start with the bat. But we could see that defense, that, that you know. And, and, and look, he had a pass ball last night. It's not perfect. He's still growing. He's, you know, he's still basically a rookie in terms of playing time. But we're seeing the arm and the athleticism combined with the power at the plate, the speed. He has a lot, a lot of, of skill um, for a catcher, and he has a ton of potential. I'm really liking Wong. And then McGuire, yeah, he's just a solid um, guy back there that, that, that uh, can handle the bat for, for sure. You know, and the other thing, too, when you really look at this offense um, in, in a bubble, we really have not got much out of first base at all, no matter who has been playing there. I mean, Turner has made it a little bit better from an offensive standpoint when he's at first. But, you know, for the most part, we haven't gotten anything out of Casas. You know, second and short have been a little difficult. And, of course, the first couple of weeks, we didn't really have much out of Yoshida. With that being said, you know, we are second. As of today, you know, May 7th, 2023, we're second in baseball in team batting average at 273. Only the Rays are better. We have a team OPS of 800. Only three teams in baseball have a combined OPS over 800, and that's the Rays, the Braves, and us. Um, as far as home runs are concerned, we're fifth. So it's not even that we're not getting the power from our alleged power guys like a Duvall or in years past. You know, it's going to be your J.D. Martinez, your Bogarts, your Big Poppy, those kind of guys. So the offense has been amazing so far through six weeks well absolutely absolutely and i, I mean that that team batting average is eye-opening because i don't know what the the batting average for the team was last year offhand but i know that the league batting average was down in like the 240s okay so you're seeing just based off of what the league average was last year we're up about 30 points and, yeah, and i think it was no, I just—it's a lot of that has to do with the the the, the shift. Obviously, I mean that we knew that was kind of coming in, but um, these guys are doing a good job of of not trying to do too much and just take what what 
you know, next man up mentality and take what, what you can get. If it's an outside, if it's a pitch, uh, you know, uh, an inch or two off the outside corner, you're just going the other way with a nice base hit. We're seeing that a lot more. I think the one thing that concerns me about this team right now, and it's, it's a concern, but it's more just really a talking point is gotta be the starting pitching. Um, you know, we've talked about this before, especially in some of the Twitter spaces, um, going into the season, we had, you know, such a surplus of starting pitching that we were considering trading some of that starting pitching for positional players. And here we are going into the second week of May, and we still have no freaking idea what our starting rotation is going to look like even by the end of this month. Right. I mean, and it's the old adage, right? You can never have enough starting pitching. And I think the one thing is we, we talked a lot about all these guys that we had as potential starters. And there was a lot of question marks, whether it be injury or just guys who like, you know, Tanner Houck and Garrett Whitlock, even Brian Bayo, young players who have never really been a full-time starter in the majors. The problem is you never really had an ace necessarily. I mean, you know, it was like we had a bunch of guys that could, could potentially be starters for us, but did we have any really good ones? You know what I mean? So um, I think if, if, if you really want to want to be positive about moving forward with, with the starting pitching is it's been a lot better the last couple of weeks. We're starting to consistently get five, six innings, but I think it's Chris sale. I mean, Chris sale in three of his last four outings, he's been dynamite. And if you look at just his last two, and I know we don't like to get into nerd stats too much, but um, I think it's somewhat relevant, especially for a kind of a power pitcher like Chris Sale, that fielding independent pitching, I think it's like 1.22 over his last two starts. So you're really seeing his stuff play right now. It's, it, he, we saw the 99 fastball to Bryce Harper a couple of pitches the other night. He was throwing like upper 90s. He still has that wipeout slider. He's mixing in a pretty good changeup. So now we're starting to see him string a few starts together. And the whole plan of him kind of not putting too much on Chris Sale the first month of the season and not giving him the ball opening day and kind of easing him into this season, considering he's missed the last few years, it's starting to work out. And I think I think it was the right move of the way Cora's handled it. And and that's the most encouraging thing with the rotation right now is sort of Sale and even Bayo. And and just one last thing was was the way that Cora put Hauk in for that sixth inning the other night after he, he you know gave up, what, six runs in the fifth? He was having a beautiful start, got hit around, lost it, a couple of seeing eye singles, whatever. He kind of lost it. We were like, oh, get, you know, everybody's like, get him out of here. Cora brings him back for the sixth. I think that's a big confidence boost and a big step in his development as a starter. Well, you know, I mean, truth be told, you know, we've had quite a number of wins recently, um, and it's kind of coincided with Chris, uh, Chris Sale really showing some improvement and a little bit better consistency. And, you know, I brought this up to you and other people before, you know, I'm just wondering if it was a situation mentally with Chris Sale, like, you know, let me see how I feel on my off days. If I don't want to really air it out um, like he's done in years past, and maybe he's feeling pretty good. And every step is another step in that positive direction to say, I'm going to be okay. If I air it out, I don't have to kind of baby myself. And, and that, along with Corey Kluber, Kluber's put together a couple good outings. I mean, they're not fantastic, but you know what? With this offense, I'll take five innings, you know, and three runs from Corey Kluber, you know, because there's been concern that he's going to get wiped out, you know, and clobbered. So it's been it's been encouraging to see those, too. Right, right. No, and we're getting back to that point where it's like sailed in, right? Like where it's like. You know, he's he's a little bit of a stopper. He's feeling a little bit more like an ace now. And I'm really looking forward to his next start. But I think, you know, one of the big things this week with the rotation is the fact that Paxton seems like he's he's kind of done with his rehab now. And he's going to rejoin the team this week. And we're hoping, we've talked about it, that Atlanta is not a good landing spot for James Paxton to make his first start. I'm sorry. They have a lot of good right-handed hitters, and they just have a great team in general. So hopefully they hold him back until the St. Louis series, which is a little bit more of a soft landing. But it's really interesting, Jim, what they're going to do. We've talked about it all year. It's like we're still trying to sort out this starting rotation and who's in and who's out, who's healthy, who's not. And, you know, not to mention the fact that they're talking about when Whitlock comes back, putting him back in the rotation, and we, and we don't want that. But really right now, it's it's what what happens with James Paxton? 
Yeah, and, and I'm in total agreement, especially with the day off tomorrow, which is going to be May 8th, and then Thursday the 11th. We've got this two-game series with the Braves, and, uh, you know, uh, I mean, Oakland is – excuse me, Oakland. Uh, the Orioles have been looking at them pretty good. They've been playing them pretty solid. So I think we have a chance there with the Braves to split at worst. The Cardinals are going to be the next team, and, I mean, a three-game series – they are in the cellar in their division, and I think there's a really good shot that we could take two out of three or even take all three. So that's definitely a softer landing spot for Paxson. But what I wanted to ask you is because I know you've been a proponent of this, and I thought it was a great idea myself, and other people have too, that if this was going to be, and I use that term uh, loudly, if, if this was going to be a, quote, bridge year, we wanted to play the kids. We wanted to get these kids in our starting rotation and we wanted to make sure that they developed properly but after the last 10 or 12 ball games and this resurgence in Yoshida and the and the offense and how much stride has been made with Whitlock being on the IL and coming back now do we have to kind of change course a little bit with him and put him in the bullpen which obviously puts the team in a better place to succeed yeah, well, listen, I think we're in total agreement on this. And I think, honestly, I would say probably 90% of Red Sox fans and media are all kind of in the same boat here. With Whitlock, we think he's, I mean, it's clearly he's better in the bullpen. Just look at the difference between, he's he's almost a 5 ERA as a starter, and, and he's lights out at a low 2 ERA as a reliever. We saw how much success he had before. The biggest thing is, I totally want, to develop my young starters. And I think we're doing that with Hauk and Bayo for sure. You know, these guys don't have the same injury concerns of, of Garrett Whitlock. Garrett Whitlock has never pitched more than 120 innings in any pro season. And I'm just really, you know, the Yankees let him go for a reason. You know, so now he has the elbow issue. Um, but what I don't like, Jim, and I know you agree with me on this, and other people have mentioned it, you know, as the reason why they want to make Whitlock a starter. And I really am adamantly, adamantly against it. I don't like the idea of, oh, we signed Whitlock to this this contract. You know, we signed him early and bought out his arbitration years and even have a couple option years after that. So now we have a great deal on him as a starter. So let's 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 have this great bargain. Let's put him in the rotation so he's so much of a bargain as a starter. I can't stand that. Okay. That's not how I want my club managed. I want everybody maximized to their potential and where they fit in best, not based on salary. Okay. So that really bothers me. I, I want to make sure the reason we're putting Whitlock in the rotation or in the bullpen is for the right reasons and not based on a contract. Yeah, that bothered me too um, because, you know, that was the narrative going around that, you know, you got him cheap. So, you know, he his value is higher as a starter than as a reliever, you know, based on the amount of innings he's going to uh, you know pitch and so forth. But the reality is, is that we have to look back and say, what's best for the team? What's best for him to excel at, too? Because, look, baseball is emotional. And if he's not successful in the rotation, he's going to continue down the wrong path. If he goes into the bullpen, he's already got his money. So as far as for Whitlock is concerned, it's not about Whitlock. It's about the Red Sox, High and Bloom, and management that has to go and say, listen, this is not a demotion. You've already got your money. This is where you excel the best. And I brought this up before. I said, you know, if our starting rotation um, is going to be, you know, pretty much a bunch of five-inning guys, I say have a second rotation between Winkowski, Cutter Crawford when he returns, and Whitlock, where the three of them can kind of rotate on an as-needed basis to be able to fill in into that sixth and seventh and eighth innings if necessary you know, based on how much performance you get out of your starter that day. Absolutely. And I uh, obviously, I definitely agree with you on that. And what we're seeing, first of all, Cora, I can, I would put my money on the table. Okay. That Alex Cora would prefer to have Whitlock in the bullpen. There's yes. a lot of reasons why it's, it's best for the team. It's best for Whitlock. Here's the thing. When you're talking about guys like Bayo and Hauk, and even we got Mata and triple a, um, we're looking for strike throwers out of the bullpen. I don't need somebody coming coming in and walking guys and having command issues. That's something we don't have to worry about with Whitlock. He pounds the strike zone. So it, it's really, you know, really important. But as, as to your point, I would just say out of those three guys, certainly Whitlock and, and Crawford, 
absolutely in that role. It almost seems like they're using Winkowski a little bit differently now. We're, we're seeing him for two-thirds of an inning here, an inning here, maybe two here. And I feel like he's a little bit stronger, a little bit healthier than somebody like maybe a little bit more durable than somebody like a Garrett Whitlock. And so I think Cora will be a little bit more aggressive with his usage of Winkowski, not to mention he's just been lights out. And then, but But Garrett Whitlock needs to be, I'm sorry, at least for this season, coming back from this injury until we know more, um, th- there's nothing wrong with him being a lights out two or three inning reliever, sort of a piggyback guy. Like we've seen in the past with what he did in 21, we've seen, you know, guys like Andrew Miller, we've seen Mariano Rivera. That's a valuable piece. <laughs> you, you, you could shut a game down after five innings with this kind of setup. So, so I, I'm fingers crossed. They don't screw up Garrett Whitlock because I, it would be a shame to do that. Well, you know, the other part of it, too, is is that if you're an opposing manager, you know, or you're an opposing player, and you know that you may have gotten a guy like Corey Kluber out of a game in five innings, and then all of a sudden Cora brings in a guy like Whitlock, it's demoralizing to that other team and that other manager because it's going to be like, you know what, I'm no better getting Kluber out of this game by making him and forcing him to throw 80 pitches in five innings because now i got to deal with Whitlock, and I'm not going to get anywhere with him either. So this is where you expand not only your starting rotation, but that middle area, that five, six, seven inning thing, which I'm, you know, a proponent of to to kind of, you know, guide you and get you to those later guys. And and I'm a big proponent of a, a strong seven, a strong eight and a strong nine. And right now it's Schreiber, Chris Martin and Canley Jensen, who has been like, you know, amazing this season. Oh, yeah. God, he's been he's been you know, what a breath of fresh air. It's so great. We talked about all the teams that have great bullpens in the past, not even just the Red Sox, but we talk about the 1990 Reds. We talk about the 96 Yankees, but certainly every time the Red Sox have won a World Series, they've had a great closer and really a great setup guy. So it's just been a lockdown end of the game. But just to your point too, listen, we're getting five out of Kluber. What if we only get three or four out of some of these guys? It's great to have a long reliever like Whitlock to be able to come in. And like you said, it's it's not so much an advantage to get the starter out of the game. Well, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a disadvantage in a lot of ways. So if you get four or five innings out of a Kluber and then bring in a Whitlock piggybacking after him, coming in just pounding the strike zone with his mid-90s sinker and he's got a nice slider as well, um, that's a weapon. And so uh, I think as far as the bullpen goes, like you said, Schreiber's looking really locked in. I love Martin. This guy's just a stud. It was a great pickup. And, and of course, Jansen is just absolutely lights out. I mean, we're seeing filth, absolute dirty stuff. We're talking about his cutter. We're talking about the slider. We're talking about he, had, he broke off a 12-6 curveball the other night. It was devastating. I mean, this guy is nasty. Yeah, and you know and, what? And by the way, he's about to hit his 400 saves, I believe, right? So he's one save away. So, you know, props to him for just being one of the best closers for, what, more than a decade now? Yeah, the only thing I'm a little concerned about with Jansen, he was grabbing his back again uh, last night. So that's the only thing that I think, you know, an injury is the only thing that could be a problem for him. But I, I do love it. And, you know, getting back to Whitlock, and, and, and we'll circle to an, another topic, but my point is this, if the Red Sox are going to compete and they're a legit team, which it looks like, I want to see Whitlock in that bullpen. I want to I want to really button that bullpen up because with him in there, they're better with him in there than out of there. Um, and so that's going to button up that bullpen and it's going to make it almost, you know, ironclad as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And just, and just one last thing I'll say about Whitlock is this is another last really important point. If you start screwing around with your rotation, taking somebody like a Hauk out, putting him in the bullpen, which I've been obviously against from the beginning, and we saw how it sabotaged our season last year with this thing, or a Bayo to AAA, which is, makes no sense, even one of our veterans, listen, you start. oh, we're so adamant about putting Garrett Woodlock in the rotation. You take somebody else out, now he gets hurt. Now you got, Now you're going back and forth and you're screwing with guys. Just put this guy in a, in a safe place where he can come in out of the bullpen, give you potentially three innings, two to three innings, and be, you know, get him on a regular schedule, right? Kind of like they're doing with, with, you know, a little bit with Crawford and, 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 you know, Winkowski. I said now he's getting used a little bit differently now, but get him on a regular schedule out of the bullpen. 
Okay. And don't screw with the guys you have in there now, like Hauk and Bayo, you know, even, even Pavetta, obviously sales a lock Kluber. We got Paxton coming back. I think we have enough in the rotation without Whitlock and I don't want to screw with our rotation and go back and forth and move guys around and, and screw anything up. You know what I mean? Like we did last year and it really sabotaged our season. Right. And so this is where, you know, having a guy like James Paxton come in, and hit that soft landing, like you said, against you know St. Louis, who's really struggling, you know, on both sides of the of the of the game. Having him pitch against them, and if he does very very well, um, it's a great problem to have. It doesn't solve anything, but it's a great problem to have. Absolutely, and and, it, and it's intriguing to see what is actually going to happen. Um, I'm very firm on wanting to keep Hauk in the rotation, not only because I think he's excellent, but he has such a high upside, and I want to develop him. So, like I was talking about that inning coming back after he let up six runs, he brought him back out. Cora brought him back out for that six. That's big in the development of a young starter. So you're talking about developing Hauk and Bayo. Don't screw with that. We're talking about Sale with his stuff being back. Great. Pavetta to me is a solid inning. If I'm choosing between Pavetta and Kluber, it's no contest. I want Pavetta in the rotation. He has better stuff. He's younger. He has more upside. And I just trust him to get more innings this season than Kluber. So it really comes down. If you're going to go to a five-man rotation, you might go to a six-man temporarily just to get everybody in there and see what it looks like and and make your choice then. But you're going to have to make a choice, Jim. And it's really coming down between Kluber and Paxton. I'm sorry. I I don't see it any other way. Yeah, I agree. I want to kind of transition a little bit and talk a little bit about Alex Verdugo. Um, you know, we've talked about him on our spaces and things like that and privately. Um, the guy is having probably the best start of his uh, career to begin a season. Um, obviously, he's had a couple walk-off hits and home runs. Um, he's been very dynamic. He's been a great leadoff hitter, if not the best leadoff hitter, probably in the American League. Um, and, you know, it seems like every time you turn around, he can't do anything wrong. The only thing I've actually seen him is miss a couple cutoff men, you know, from a, from a base hit in the outfield. But outside of that, um, tell me what your thoughts are with him and, and what you think moving forward with him. You know, it, it's just going into this season, we had so many question marks. And I remember talking to Lou Merloni. He said, you know, outside of Devers and Verdugo, who do you have that's an everyday ball player? And I was like, well, I can't really, you know, considering, you know, stories, you know, hurt and there were so many question marks and different guys that, uh, that, 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 you know, you know, Turner's 38, Duvall was a big question mark. So going into the season, it was like, we've got Devers and we've got Verdugo. Now, I did not like what I saw, you know, and listen, it, it's validated by the fact, you know, with, with, with what we saw from Verdugo last year, sure, he might've been injured with his foot. You know, he was injured with his foot and he, he was out of shape. Okay. And Cora challenged him in the off season. Okay. And now he's getting the best out of this player because the one thing I like the most out of him, and obviously he's been fantastic, right? I was the one in the off season saying, I think this guy, if he comes into shape, he can play right field. I think he's probably better in right field than he is left. He's had trouble playing the monster. So yeah. now you're seeing him in great shape. He's running much better visibly. I mean, he's visibly in better shape. He's running better. He's playing pretty good defense out in right field. Um, and, and he's a great contact hitter. I mean, he's just, he's a very good hitter. He doesn't strike out. He puts the bat on the ball. He's not trying to be David Ortiz or Barry Bonds this year. He's, he's, he, the home runs will come when you're a good hitter and you, and you put the bat on the ball and you barrel the ball and get line drives, the home runs are going to come. So I like what I'm seeing there. And the biggest thing with anything with Alex Verdugo is he wants to be here and he can handle the market. He embraces um, big games, big challenges, rivalries, whether it's Manoa, whether it's the Yankees, big moments. He's had a, had a pretty good track record in a small sample size in the postseason. So, and, and, and just when you have a guy hustling like that, playing as good as he has, you know, walk-offs, just everything. This guy brought his A game this year, and I'm, I'm all here for it. I love it. So um, he's just been amazing. Uh, you, you can't really say enough good things about Alex Verdugo and what he's meant to this team and, and, and for them getting off to this start. It's been incredible. It's been so impressive, Jim. So, you know, with that being said, you know, um, my only concern with Verdugo is, is that uh, he's been with the team for a few years, right? And we're seeing this now 
what's the motivation to Verdugo having uh, this breakout season? Because I said in the offseason, I said it's almost like important that he does have a breakout season because it's it's at the part part of his career where he's got to produce or he's probably going to be gone. And and we're seeing it. And you know, is the motivation Alex Cora sitting down with him and saying, listen, you have the potential to take your game to the next level? Or is it the point where, you know, money talks and BS walks and he's going to want to start playing for that big contract that he's going to be looking forward to in the future? Right. And we and we know that we got the word, which kind of rubbed me a little bit the wrong way because I didn't think he deserved the contract extension before the season. So that's kind of where the uh, little, little, you know, thing I had with the Verdugo kind of uh, spawned from was I was I was excited to see what he was going to do this year. I thought he had the potential to have a breakout year, but then before the season, he's ask, asking for a contract extension, and I didn't think that was deserved. And you make a great point because obviously, obviously, he didn't get it. <laughs> so that's going to give you a little extra motivation, and it's a great point we've talked about because can we trust Alex Verdugo with what we've seen in the past? Can we trust him to come in if we signed him to a five, six, seven, eight-year deal? I don't know. With Brian Reynolds' contract, it's interesting. We've been talking about, you know, I wonder what kind of contract they're looking for. I wonder what it's going to take to sign him. He does have one year left under arbitration. But it's a great point to say, you know, if we sign this guy to a long-term deal, does he revert to the old Alex Verdugo, which isn't horrible. It's not that he was absolutely terrible. It's just this is a guy entering his prime who has a lot of talent, and we want to make sure we're getting the most out of him. So props to props to Verdugo for doing it. Props to Cora for calling him out on it. But I'm sorry, it's very scary to think you lock this guy up to a big contract and then he reverts back to being that average ball player that's not in the greatest shape and not hustling on every play and not bringing it every game and every play like we've seen in the past. So it's it's definitely a concern. Yeah, I mean, especially too when you know you've looked at you know a lot of the uh, outfielders that we have currently. And just in the recent past with guys like Ben and and all the comps that they were like the same player, pick one and get rid of the other. Now you have Yoshida, you have Jaron Duran. That might be a, a, a cornerstone into this outfield moving forward. You still have Duvall, but, you know, with all these left-handers on the team and especially with Verdugo, um, you know, they got to make a decision. Do they want to invest in him um, and give him a long-term deal and be a cornerstone here with Devers for another six, seven years. I mean, I would do it if I'm going to get this kind of production. Um, just hopefully he's not the kind of guy that's going to, you know, panda it, if, if, if to, to use the term, and just kind of get his money or Hanley Ramirez, get his money, and then just kind of sit back. So that's the biggest concern I have. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I don't have any concern. I wouldn't go as far as panda. I mean, I don't have any concern that bad with him. I just, you know, here's the problem. This guy's played so well that whatever contract we thought he might get before the season or, or whatever, you know, we talked about the Ben attendee deal. We're looking at the Reynolds deal. I'm concerned that he's playing himself above that. You know what I mean? So now it's kind of becoming a little of a dispute to say, Hey, I want to get an eight year contract for a buck 20 or more. Right. And, and that's, that's a big contract for a guy that really we've only seen a month plus of this type of performance I'm sorry, I'm not giving a big contract to the Alex Verdugo of 2021 or even, uh, I'm sorry, 2022 or even 2021. I'm not doing no. that. No, it's, not at this all. This is the Alex Verdugo we want. And if we're going to go lock in, we got to feel good about it. And that's up to the Red Sox, Jim. It's not up to us. It's not up to the fans. It's not up to the media. It's up to the Red Sox to make that determination. Of course, you know we came you know, in the Mookie Betts deal along with Connor Wong. So you know, ultimately they probably want to hang on to that asset. Um, it's really, really interesting, but I'm just curious how, how, how big the contract number is getting considering how well he's playing. And what if he has this amazing season that he's projected to have, what if he's a 300 plus hitter with, with 20, 25 home runs and, you know, 85, 90 plus RBIs. And uh, you know, what kind of contract is he going to be looking for is, is, is six years, 75 million or whatever, 80 million is that even realistic right now so it's 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 really going to be interesting moving forward with him well, in the contract the Bri- situation yeah i mean i think the brian reynolds deal although it was you know well over the 100 million mark the reality was is because of the length of contract 
it wound up only being about 13 million a year or something like that, which I think is really reasonable, if not undervalued, um, you know, especially for a team like Pittsburgh that, that, that can't really get players to sign there. So, um, you know, well, that the one, the one, so, sorry to cut you. I just, I would just say the one difference is Verdugo has got one year left after this, um, of arbitration and then he's a free agent. Right. Whereas Reynolds had two more years. So it was just that extra year that does actually play into a little of the negotiation because Reynolds, you know, if, if it was basically under arbitration, if he was looking at two years under 20 million, um, it kind of does factor in where Verdugo's only got one year left. So slightly right. different. And also, you know, where do you look at the upside between the two players? I know a lot of people are high on Brian Reynolds, but, and I know he had a great start against us and a great start to this season, but what I'm seeing from Verdugo, he's better than Ben Attendee. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Verdugo's better than Ben Attendee and he might be better than Reynolds and he probably thinks he is. So I, I'm starting to worry if he's looking for a bigger contract than Brian Reynolds. Cause, cause you're right though. Brian Reynolds, that was a bargain. Yeah. Um, so we all know that, you know, obviously the Red Sox signed Duvall in the off season, uh, with the hope that he could kind of resurrect and be a 30 home run guy for us. Um, he's had a, a history of injuries, got injured with the Braves, um, you know, wrist injury that kept him out of, uh, almost half the season, uh, the year prior came here to Boston, didn't have the greatest spring training to start, kind of started to pull it together, you know, at the end of spring training. But once the season started, I mean, for the first week and a half, he was arguably, you know, Willie Mays. Um, it, was, it was it was insane, the kind of production that we were getting. Um, and then, you know, he suffered that unfortunate injury, which probably is going to take him out till after July. Um, and then, as you know, and any Red Sox fan would know, Jaron Duran uh, was called up and he's been absolutely a different player. Um, and he's been a bright spot for this team. What's your thoughts on Duran? Is he for real this time? Um, and what can we expect moving forward? Yeah, well, you know, and, and I, I brought up the stats and we've talked about it, how the center field position between Duvall and, you know, mainly Duvall and Duran has been by far the most productive spot in the lineup. I think it's like 200 or more than 200 OPS points ahead of any other position, which is crazy, especially with Devers and Verdugo, what they're doing. But um, my thoughts on Duran is I've always loved this kid in terms of talent. I remember tracking, I track all the prospects and, um, you know, I remember, you know, his breakout year a few years back, maybe it was 18 or 19 and he was hitting like over 400 in able. And it was like, whoa, who's this kid, you know? And, oh, this kid's like a, a burner. He's not a big power guy, but he's a good average hitter. He's, he's kind of a guy you could look at as a leadoff hitter, maybe an Ellsbury type. And he's got a ton of speed. It's like, okay. With what we saw from him last year and even the last two years where he gets called up, we see the talent, okay? And remember, in 2020, the season was a wash because of COVID. And his dad, he went he went through almost a Bryson DeChambeau type of body transformation where his dad, who's jacked, got him really into working out. He added a ton of muscle. So he's completely changed his body, a la a Bryson DeChambeau type, like a lot of people did during the COVID lockdowns. So we've seen him come back now and be a little bit different player. But we've seen this hot start from him before. We've seen, okay, you know, I remember when we first called, he had that basically an inside of the park home run. They ended up calling it a triple with an error. But it was like, whoa, this guy's dynamic. He's exciting. He's got all the tools, um, you know, at least offensively. He's got pretty good power, pretty decent hitter, great speed. Um, so with what I'm seeing from him now with his adjustments at the plate, it's I'm starting to be sold. Because I'm always skeptical when I look at what he's done against the division. I, I look at what he's done. I still want to see him against the Yankees and against Tampa. But he passed that first test against Toronto. And I, I do need to see him against tougher competition, especially the Yankees and the Rays, who he's ex just been terrible against the last couple of years. And it's like every time he gets off to a hot start, he runs into the Yankees. Next thing you know, he's on an 0 for 40, you know, like a really big slump. You know, he's like, oh, you know, whatever. The Yankees have owned him. I think he's got an 088 or 089 career batting average against them. Um, so, but the biggest thing, Jim, I think is we know he has some mental issues. Um, you know, we've seen that with some confidence issues, anxiety, whatever, with what happened to him last year. I think we're seeing that the offense has allowed him to uh, be better on defense in a lot of ways. So in other words, if he's, if he's a lot of times we see guys carry their offensive struggles into the field with them. And that could have been what happened with him in the past. 
Well, now he's doing great offensively, and he's, he's and he's been amazing, and he's also been very good defensively. That's been the biggest. That's been the biggest pleasant surprise with how good he's been in center field, which was a train wreck for him last year. Yeah, I, you know, and the other the other part about it is is that it's multiple hit games too. So it's not just that he's getting one hit a game or whatnot. You know, he and, and he's dynamic in the fact with the with the speed, right? Because again, he gives you that opportunity that if he does get a single, and and the way that we've eliminated shifts and things like that, um, you know, it, it just creates that old dynamic from the '80s and '90s again, where you can do some hitting, running, you can take some pitches. Get him a chance to, you know, try to get a, another stolen base. Get over into second. Get into uh, scoring position. You know, maybe be bunted over to third, and then hopefully score. I like that style of baseball, and I and I hope that he's the type of guy that can help bring some of that back, just by the tools that he has. Absolutely, and just in terms of offense, uh, on, on offense, I mean, what's really impressive with him is he's embraced the. All, all, all fields, right? This guy's not a dead pull hitter. We've seen it where he uses the monster a little bit. He's going to all fields, hitting line drives all over the field. That's going to give him the best opportunity to take advantage of that speed. In other words, put the ball in play, put it on the ground, line it into the gap, down the line. You're going to be getting a lot of doubles and triples. And 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 like you said, with the speed, just getting on, on the base path, putting pressure on the defense. I mean, let's face it, he's he, with, with Story and Mondesi on the D, on the IL. I mean, this guy's easily the best athlete on the team. And, you know, along with Wong. But, I mean, he's, he's just – he's that dynamic – guy and also let's not let's not underestimate the fact that he's given some pretty good protection like you said without Duvall in there he's given some pretty good protection to the middle of the order batting fifth for the most part lately and giving Dever some good protection and uh it's great to see and 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 we talked about it Jim in the offseason like what does this guy have to do to, to get back in our good graces after what happened last year against Toronto and it was like you know hey you know you know whatever just just come out and, and i don't remember exactly what we said at the time but it was like he's got a long way to go well he's back and 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 just his value from where he was in the offseason to where it is now skyrocketed which is great yeah i mean I, i'm not going to i'm not going to beat around the bush i was not a jaron duran fan after i saw you know that inside the park home run with tapia and him just kind of like throwing his hands up in the air, oh, what was me, and not chasing after the ball. And I was vocal with it, and I said, you're a rookie. you gotta, you got to impress. you got to show. I hated that. Um, and, you know, but I'm, you know, I'm willing to give everybody a second chance. It looks like he's embracing it. I guess my question to you is, is that, is this the Jaron Duran we're going to see moving forward, or is this just fool's gold? You know what? I actually think that now, of course, he's not going to be a 400 hitter, right? I mean, you know, so, so, um, but I think with the changes they've made at the plate and credit to him, obviously for making those changes, but also I will give, you know, the Red Sox coaching, you know, Fatsy or whatever. I don't know who um, gets the most credit for, for, for what Duran's, uh, the adjustments he's made. Um, but I'm, I'm liking that we see Oshita making adjustments. We see different guys making adjustments. Well, Duran's made the biggest adjustments. He used to have those hands kind of out over the plate, um, almost looking, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's just a completely, you know, just, it, he didn't allow him to get to that high fastball. He's moving his hands back and then he can't get to the high fastball. He can't lay off the high fastball. So I think we are seeing the real Jaron Duran. I think we're finally seeing his true talent come out. I think he, like I said, the mental aspect of the game, I think he's kind of overcome that. Um, that was a big thing last year. As bad as that play was, Jim, one of the, you know, even worse was some of the comments and, and behavior after the game um, and lack of accountability from Duran and from the whole team and Cora and everybody, really. So I think um, I, I would say, yes, he's turned the corner and, and, and he's, he's, you know, everybody has to make their place in the game as a young player. So it takes a couple of years. Everybody's got a different path. So for Duran, it's been tough. But now, yeah, I, I believe he has turned the corner, and I believe he can be this type of player moving forward for sure. Well, I certainly hope he is. I mean, I, I obviously, you know, I want I want the players to do well. I want the team to do well. And of course, he's. I mean, he's been needed, right? With I mean, with the ball going down, we had no idea where we were going to get enough uh, offense from because they weren't going to go out and really sign anybody. So this has been really good. I like the point that you made about him, you know, changing his stance, the way he's holding his hands and things like that a little differently. 
and it's paid off. Um, and it transitions to my next uh, topic um, with a guy that altered his stance because of a flaw, and that's Masataki Yoshida. Um, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Uh, the first two weeks of the season, I came out with a tweet that I said he's been a disappointment, and I got railroaded for it, but I, I still stand behind it that the first two weeks he looked bad. He made a change. He made he, they found a flaw, or he found a flaw, and he's turned into Mickey Mantle. <laughs> Absolutely, and 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 the biggest thing was we didn't know what we were getting exactly uh, when we signed him. We all thought, everybody thought um, he was going to probably slide into that leadoff spot. That was what kind of everybody was thinking. And mm -hmm. as it got closer to the season, we kind of thought, ah, Cora, you know, he didn't do it in spring training. The first couple of lineups, it was like, oh, wait. And it was like, you know what? He does. He, he came out and said he, he's not comfortable there. And, he, and he's more of a middle of the order bat. Then we go and see him in the WBC and we're like, okay, <laughs> okay. I, now I'm seeing what this guy's all about because we never got the chance to see him play. We can't just look at the stats in Japan and go off of that. We need to see the guy play. So now we're seeing him on the world stage. And he was phenomenal. I think he had like 13 RBIs, something like that, set a record for, for the tournament. And he was, it was just like, whoa. So we're coming into the season with the expectations through the roof. And he got off to a pretty good start the first few games. And then after that home run ball where, where, where you know, the, the fans wouldn't give him his ball back. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. I, I had the tweet, the curse of the little devil at Fenway. It's just after that point, after that home run, it was like he went on a two to three week slide, and and, and you know what? We watch every game, and and we we care, and we follow this team passionately. So, it's 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 not out of line to call out what's fact. The guy was hitting like 088 for almost three weeks. Okay, he was pounding the ball into the ground, trying to pull everything, you know, flying his hips out trying to yank every pitch, whether it's outside, high and outside. And it was like, whoa, what's going on? I was, I, I thought this guy was going to use all fields. I thought this guy was a lot more advanced of a hitter. And like you said, you know, he went down with the hamstring, missed a couple of games. He was out of the lineup, made the adjustments. And since he's come back, holy crap. I mean, he's, he's on a 15 game hitting streak. He's like the best hitter in baseball the last couple of weeks. So this is huge, huge for the Red Sox, huge for him, huge for Heim Bloom because that was his big move, and he hasn't had a lot of big moves since he's really been in place. So this has been everything, because it, w without him, the lineup at the beginning of the season was basically a two-man show. Well, you know, after Duvall went down, it was basically Verdugo and Devers. So it was like now we start to extend the lineup, then we get the bottom going, and this lineup is phenomenal now, and, and, and he's a huge, huge part of it. Yeah, I was really concerned because I saw a lot of turnover to second base, and it just seemed like it was too much Jackie Bradley Jr. reincarnation. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to report I'm wrong. Um, I'll be the first to admit it. And I'm happy to report that I'm wrong because I want the team to do well. I want him to do well. I mean, and the reality is, is, I mean, if he keeps up even some of this, he's, he's going to get rookie of the year consideration. Oh, absolutely. He was my pick, preseason pick for, for, rookie of the year because based off of that WBC performance, I was so hyped. Um, but you're, you're right. I mean, listen, there's nothing to be ashamed of about being wrong because you weren't wrong. You were, you were right in that, in that time. If, if anybody who wasn't concerned um, a little bit about this guy after that huge slump, I mean, come on, we're watching every game, every pitch closely. So we were seeing a trend there of just constantly trying to pull everything and pounding it into the ground, double plays, weak ground outs, little pop-ups. It was like, this is not what this guy, this was not what we were sold. And, and, and we kind of, I, I always knew he had it in him, it was, but it was just like, how long is this going to keep up until he makes these adjustments and he made them? Um, so, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, and, and like I said, I, I was wrong about Alex Verdugo. I was skeptical coming into the season that he was going to turn that corner. So it's, it's okay to call it like you see it, whether it's Kotsis, Yoshida, Verdugo. Okay. We need to see the performance on the field. Okay. There's nothing wrong with judging the performance we see on the field day by day, game by game. We talk socks all the time, every day. So, 
Um, it's great that these guys have all turned the corner. And, and, and really kind of at the same time, we're talking about Yoshida, Duran, uh, uh, Verdugo, Wong. So many guys are kind of turning that corner and breaking out at the same time, and that's led to this offensive explosion. So, you know, in the time that we have left, um, obviously we, we see that Duran might be fixed. Yoshida might be fixed. I think the next guy, and probably our, our last topic for today's call, um, we got to find a way to fix Casas, right? Um, you know, here's here's the bottom line. And you and I may disagree here. I know we agree on a lot of other things, but um, I was excited for this kid to come up last year. I thought he was going to be a 280, 290, 25 to 30 home run threat, maybe 89, you know, 80 to 90 RBIs, maybe even 100. I thought he was going to be a middle of the order bat, a third hitter, a number three hitter, or a number four or five hitter, somewhere like that. Um, he didn't have the greatest batting average last year, um, but he did make some of an impact. I expected him to work on this really strongly in the offseason. I expected him to be able to work on these things in spring training. Once the uh, once the lights went on, you know, for the season so far in April and May, I'm not impressed in the in, in the six weeks that I've seen of him. I expect more, and I, you know, I don't know. I mean, does he need more seasoning at AAA? Do we need to make a move? Do we just kind of ride it out because we've got enough offense from other areas that we can afford to let him kind of putter along? What do you think? You know, this has been a hot topic for us recently. Um, it was a week ago today where I kind of, because I, listen, I'm guilty of hyping up Tristan Kostas as much as anybody, okay? I, I was so high in this guy. I've been tracking him since high school. He has ridiculous power. Um, he does have an advanced approach to the plate with his plate discipline. Obviously, sometimes that goes a little too far, and he's too patient, letting too many good pitches go by. Identified, I identified the fact that after a 1-0 count, he's hitting like 100 or under 100, whereas when he swings at the first pitch and he's aggressive early in the count, he's hitting like 333. And we've seen a couple of good games from him recently, and he does have a very long on-base streak going. Um, I, I was saying a week ago he's a rookie. You know, it's, it's, it's tough when you put those big expectations on a rookie like that. We've had so many problems at first base. This guy's a high prospect. And maybe we hyped him up a little too much and had the expectation a little too high because I still believe in him. I see the talent. I know he has the talent. Even at first base, he's made some rookie mistakes. I'm chalking a lot of this up, and you know I have been, to him being a rookie. Let's be patient. But to be fair, we have a baseball game to win, okay? We're, we're a good team now. We can't afford to have somebody that, that's going to bat 120, that's going to make dumb mistakes in the field, you know, and and, and just be, be a liability out there. So I do want to be patient, but there's only so long you can be patient and, 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 and hopefully he's snapping out of it. But at some point you're, I mean, you have to do something. You can't just let a guy hit 120 all year. So he, he's, he, he's heated up recently. Hopefully he keeps it going. I think honestly, we've seen it with Wong and some other guys. Give me like one big game, two big games in a row, kind of, kind of get going. And, 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 and that could be what it, he needs to just kind of snap out of it. Just that big two home run game or something five RBIs, you know what I mean? So uh, here, here's my take on it. I'm going to give him to May 31st, right? I, I'm going to give me to June 1st, essentially, and tell me where he is at that point. And, you know, look at his stats from the first five or six weeks and the stats from these next three weeks. And if there's some marginal improvement, fine. But if it's going to be still the same puttering along, um, I don't know what to say. I think he's going to, you know, he would probably need more seasoning at AAA at that point. I just feel like he's, he's pressing too much to walk. All right. He's, I, I don't mind players getting into deep counts if they're going to be, you know, if especially if they're down in the count and they'll be able to read the ball better and get back into a better count. But, you know, he, it just seems like, you know, when he's two and oh or three and one, He's got to swing a little bit more. He can't just sit there and wait and take pitches and try to you know you know try to walk. He he's a number one draft pick. He's he's built like a a, a, a shit house. He's got to be able to swing that bat. And Jim, let's just contrast this. You know when we're you we just kind of sparked this idea in my mind, this thought in my mind. Let's contrast him with another big time prospect we had a few years ago with Mookie Betts. 
And hear me out. If you remember that at bat, I don't remember the exact situation, but Mookie Betts had, I think it was a grand slam, if I'm not mistaken, but he had like a 13, 14 pitch at bat. Yep. And, and, and he had a home run. And oh my God, the place exploded. He was just, he was fired up. The team was fired up. Now we saw Casas with a similar at bat that ended in a walk in Tampa a couple of weeks ago. And he did the old Braveheart thing. Everybody said, what the heck? This guy just walked. I mean, it was a good at bat. Don't get me wrong, but here's the, the point I'm trying to make. Mookie Betts and a lot of great hitters battle, battle, battle. They fight off tough pitches. They take tough pitches. Why? So they can get that good pitch that they can handle. They can do damage. What we're seeing with Casas is he's battling, battling, battling so that he can get a walk, right? So there's a difference there. I want my guys to battle. I want, first of all, I want you to swing at strikes and not swing at balls. It's that simple. So if, if, listen, if they're going to throw you balls, and even if it's, hey, if it's two, three inches off the plate and you take it, good take, whatever, fine. But, dude, the whole point is wait for a good pitch to hit and do damage. So work the count until you get a pitch to hit and then do damage. Like we see with different guys like Mookie Betts and just other Anthony Rizzo, Aaron, it doesn't matter who the player is. That's the idea. Want you know? So, you know, you're working the count and fighting off pitches tough pitches in order to get the pitch you do want and do damage with it right well see and that's why i can that's why I, i'm concerned about the approach because i don't know i don't remember who the pitcher was at that time but he had a three uh he had a three zero count or a three one count i think it was a three zero count and then the next pitch was pretty much you know fastball 96 a little inside and he took it for a strike and i'm like dude you've gotta you gotta swing the bat and then in another complete you know, um, at bat that was, I think, even a different ball game, Duran, I think, got on. I think it was with a walk. And he, he wound up swinging at the first pitch. He was hitting behind Duran, and he swung at the first pitch, and he got to fly out to center field. And I'm shaking my head because I'm saying, you got a guy, the, probably the fastest guy in the league on first base. This is an opportunity where you want to take those pitches and give him a chance to steal second. So I just, you know, the approach with him isn't consistent on all levels. So that's just something he's got to work on. And I hope he can work and figure it out at the major league level, because if he can't do it in the next three weeks, I think we really have to look at, you know, making a change there. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a little little improvement recently, but you make a good point. So I think this is part of the rookie development, and that's why I want to give him a chance. He's still working out because we talk about it. I remember Trot Nixon used to do a lot of this. He was, okay, early in the, he's walking a lot. He's being very patient a lot. And then all of a sudden he starts swinging at that first pitch, being aggressive early in the count. We talk about sabotage, right? So you build up um, a, 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 you know, analytics, statistical data that says, you know what, this guy doesn't swing at the first pitch. We saw it with Pedroia. Remember when Pedroia used to always take the first pitch and almost just give it right. to the other pitcher and step out of the, almost step out of the box in a lot of, it was just uncompetitive. It was just like, I'm taking the first pitch. Well, right, right. after a while, when they think, hey, he's going to do that again, you sabotage him and you hammer that first pitch fastball. Um, so I think he's still caught in between exactly how to approach every at bat. And what I want, and this is what I'd say to anybody, anytime you're in a good hitters count, whether it be in just the first pitch of the at bat, maybe you've got a 2-0, um, a 3-0, 3-1, whatever it might be. I want a posted stamp situation, meaning you're looking at you're looking at a very small area you're looking at a fastball middle in that's it anything other than that you're going to take but if you get that fastball middle in you hammer it right so 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 it, it's he, he's got to fine tune his approach hopefully they're working with him on that hopefully he breaks out of it like i said he's shown a little improvement recently and i just think he's one or two big games away from sort of breaking out and it could be a confidence thing with him as well so um i agree with you though Give them to the end of the month. I'm sorry. Uh, we start to get some bodies back. You've got to make some tough decisions. And we've certainly seen Turner at first a little bit more. Um, we've got Alfaro getting the glove uh, third. You know, who knows with him? We've got doll specs coming up. Um, there's always potential trades out there. If we needed to add somebody, it's it, that's probably a pretty easy position to fill with a decent body. Um, so, yeah, we can't go forever with this guy. But but I'm, I'm willing to give him that rookie when uh, that leash, um, you know, to, to, to figure it out a little bit, but uh, he's got to get going, Jim. Yeah. So we're just about out of time for today. So I want to thank my, uh, 
my guest Anthony on the Cape for uh, you know being part of our uh, our show today. Um, obviously, you know, check us out on Twitter at landsdownbound.com or down, at landsdownbound and also our website at landsdownbound.com. Um, and, uh, we'll, uh, hopefully be doing these shows, um, a little bit more frequently. And obviously if you're interested in being a guest with us on any of the shows, uh, you know, just, uh, hit us up on Twitter. Um, we'd be happy to, uh, to consider you. Thanks for being on and, uh, everybody have a good week. Go Sox. Uh, we got uh, Philly today, and then we've got uh, two of the, with Atlanta and then St. Louis. So have a great day.